Welcome to It's Always Day One. My name is George Reed, a former Amazonian turned Amazon consultant. Each week on the podcast, you're going to hear industry experts, brand owners, and Amazon employees share their answers to the basic yet fundamental questions you should be asking yourself about your Amazon business. Now, let's jump in. Hello, Ben Timmons. Um, thank you so much for coming back on to It's Always Day One. Um, we've already had a little bit of a, a natter. Um, and for those who didn't listen to Ben's first episode, Ben and I worked together for just under two years. Um, we then both went for the job at Kraft Heinz. He got it. I didn't. So I had to think of other options, which was, you know, one of them sticking points in our relationship, but such is life. Um, and Ben now runs a, a series of little Amazon side hustles, which he's been doing for some time, as well as does some role at Gym Pass. Ben, do you want to give us a bit of a background on the side hustle for 30 seconds, and we'll get straight into some questions. Hi, George. Thanks for having me back. Sorry about the craft time thing. I've, you know, we've talked about that <laughs> multiple times. At the end of the day, if you're not good enough, you're just not good enough. <laughs> but what you're doing is fantastic. So everything happens for a reason, my friend. Uh, yeah, exactly as you say. Got a variety of, of side hustles. Some are obviously at very different life stages. Some are very much in their infancy and single skew exploration businesses that span multiple categories. For example, just recently launched a, a board game, kind of a, a lockdown take on Cards Against Humanity, for example. And then I have two other businesses that are slightly more advanced that are all within the fitness accessory space. So all use a very similar model, purely on FBA. Um, but yeah, very, very simple and, and straightforward, small, skewed businesses. And one thing we were discussing before before we kicked off, and I think it's an interesting point. So over the last year, I think Amazon as a whole has accelerated. Um, your your business, particularly your, your primary one that you started when we were at, at Amazon, so three years ago now, obviously accelerated massively with that and you've, you've achieved some brilliant success um, for what is a very simple product, you know, which is always nice. Um, but you've still got the day job. You're still doing the nine to five. And at what point do you think you would ever leave that? Why are you still doing the day job? Why have you not quit yet and just going balls deep in on, on the Amazon stuff? Kind of what, what, what's your take on all of that? Yeah, it's a great question and one that one that rears its head on, on a number of occasions when I speak to close friends and family about this. And exactly as you say, I've been lucky enough to enjoy a series of continued success and growth with, with my primary business workout logs. Uh, you know, 2020 was was a really good year, even considering the the sales impact of lockdowns and the uncertainty that that created. There is, of course, a benefit of the digital switch where Amazon benefited massively there, and, and as such, vendors such as myself. Uh, but all in all, it, it, it was great. And the success from that has come from doubling down on, and really focusing on improving digital assets and advertising as well. That's been the real key driver of growth in 2020. But exactly as you say, I've been perfectly candid. I could very easily quit what I do as a, as a day, as a day to day job. Um, you know, from a financial point of view, I guess it's more than sustainable to do so. I think for me, there's, there's a few key reasons why not. The first one is the environment that I'm in now with the company that I w- I'm very lucky to work for, Jim Pass, affords me some amazing opportunities and responsibilities that I wouldn't, I simply wouldn't get within my own side hustle, so to speak, right now. 
One of those is the opportunity to lead a team, which is something that I absolutely love doing and I'm extremely grateful for because it gives me the amazing opportunity to help coach and develop some of the younger talent within the organisation. And that's something that, that's really, really close to my heart. And I feel that training and development of junior members of the team is fundamental to a, to a fast growth company's future success. So that's something that I simply wouldn't be able to get right now. It's not to say that I wouldn't be able to get that in the longer term if my business was my side business was to grow. And secondly to that, I'm also hyper aware of the fact that within my business of one, <laughs> there's only a certain amount of learning that I will be able to, to, to do and gain access to within that time. So I take it upon myself to, to constantly trying to be learned about different areas, how I can improve the business. For example, I've recently read a book um, by Ian Shepard about reinventing retail and trying to apply some of those learnings. That's great. But the exposure that I have to people around me is so greatly reduced that I don't feel I'll be able to learn quite as much as I can in my current role. And it's a really interesting dynamic because I learn almost as much from running my own business as I do from working at an organization. So it creates a real synergy where I can take learnings from one environment and apply them to the other. And I feel there's still an awful lot of room there for me to continue to grow and learn from, from some amazing and really senior and really, really switched on commercial people. And I'm really keen to continue to extract that knowledge from those people around me and apply that to my actual business and my business model and really use that to take that to the next level. You know, I've been building the business up in, as far as sales in large amounts, but in far of what I'm doing to, to revolutionize what I'm doing, it's quite small increments, it's small iterations. If I can continue to learn and, and compound and aggregate that, I can really help accelerate the business, you know, 10, 20 fold rather than just doubling each year, which is still great, but there's still an awful lot, lot more that can be done there from extracting that learning from, from people that have that experience. Do you think any of it is also having that safety net does that come into it and also factoring in how easily amazon can be snatched away does that fear come into it at all or or not yeah definitely i think the safety factor is something that again now january 2021 is probably more of a factor in the last 12 months than it's ever been you know i'm very lucky to to have a role at an organization that's continued to grow and is actually going to do better out of the crisis than anyone else. And I think you know, job security is really worth its weight in gold at the moment. So talking to the current situation, yes, that's super important. And I think if you go back to, as you mentioned at Amazon three years ago, when I first started the business, there was always that question of, is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is that sale just a fluke? Is this, is this customer going to come back to me and buy again? Because retention is a super important part. And now with three years of, of growth, and evidence I'm, I'm confident enough to say okay i have a safety blanket in my assumptions there that, that business will continue to perform at x level so that safety blanket is still an important piece but it's nowhere near what it used to be say two or three years ago because i wouldn't have had the confidence at that point to move away so that is that is something that's still really really important and does does play in my mind i think when you look at, as you said, the ability that Amazon has to impact your business, that is what terrifies me. I've been, and we've talked about this on a previous podcast, I've been at a point where one of my Amazon accounts was blocked for almost two years. And it is, you know, there is, there is no words to explain 
<laughs> there's one word that does, but there's no words to explain how difficult it is <laughs> to navigate that situation with Amazon. And the recklessness almost and, the, and just how unapologetic they are in closing down accounts is the single most terrifying thing of, of being dependent on Amazon, which quite frankly I am. And the reason for that is the fulfillment model because it's the most low low effort for myself. So that is the bit that, that worries me. Within that, there are other considerations as well, one of which is you know, what's the likelihood that Amazon will just create their own retail variation of this product, advertise it to Kingdom Come and not worry about making money because a multi, multi-billion pound organization has far better pricing power than mm-hmm. I do. Within that, there's there's mm-hmm. only other manifestation of that, which is competitors. I'm quite confident in this sense, um, but you know, there's nothing to stop a super low-cost competitor that's trying to imitate the product coming in, which like, we have seen on occasions as well. So there is always a concern there, and that, for me, is one of the reasons why we talked about this before is, for some of the businesses, for, for one of them especially, I'm thinking about what that exit strategy will be. So having a clear goal for that and building towards that exit strategy is important. You know, it's always better to get to get off the elevator a couple of floors below the top before it gets off the top and just keeps going and falls off the side. That's how I'm, I'm trying to look at it. So that planning That's, to an exit is, uh, is an important point. It's a new analogy, that one. I haven't heard of that widely used, but... Um... A great one there. I don't think many philosophers are pitching that one. I'll, made paraphrase, that one up. I'll paraphrase that slightly from Richard Soros, um, who is, a, who is a, a, an investor or a technical trader, essentially. But yeah, so I've done that what, slightly bad job of articulating that. But you get the gist. No, no, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, brilliant, brilliant job. Um, but for you, what would, what would that exit strategy look like at the moment? You look at your business right now, you look at where it's at, you look at those threats, which would be Amazon, which might be a Chinese competitor like we've talked about before. And I've kind of raised that flag of what you're doing to build that brand moat and many of those things you're implementing. I'm not saying I'm responsible for a lot of your success, but some of my tips certainly <laughs> contribute massive, massively. But what is that exit plan knowing how easily things can be snatched away. Is there a point? Is there a figure? Is there an offer you're waiting for or you would like? What does that look like? Yeah, it's a really great point. And you your feedback and your tips have been invaluable thus far, George. So I'll, I'll try my best <laughs> to cut you in on an equity deal of, of, of a very minority state. But no, in, in all Natural, seriousness, yeah. Yeah, for me, that exit strategy it involves just selling the business at 100%. Um, potentially for, for a cash deal or maybe a longer-term equity deal. There's a really exciting point now for Amazon sellers where a business, and it's not quite as simple as this, but Frasio, for example, a unicorn business in the US, has made incredible waves in the space by rolling up Amazon businesses, by purchasing them, increasing operations, doubling down advertising, and there's a lot of operational synergies and because of that, Thrasio has seen huge growth, primarily in the US. They are in Europe, but what we're now seeing is this proliferation of smaller businesses in a race to become the Thrasio of Europe, even though they're already here. And what that means is there's now a really exciting opportunity for sellers to actively explore exit strategies that before might have been a little bit difficult to find. And the reason for that is Amazon business models were still quite largely misunderstood. So there's still opportunities out there, things like empire flippers to list and sell Mm -hmm. a business. But there is now a lot of smaller 
businesses that will now you know look at purchasing Amazon stores, likes of Frasio, as I've mentioned, Heroes, who recently secured a sixty million million euro funding. There's a whole lot of a lot of companies out there, and I think that what that means, if we look at the supply and the demand aspect, there will always be a a new supply of high quality stores on Amazon, but it's not going to increase that quickly. Whereas what we're seeing now with so many new players, the pricing and the multipliers that these acquisition businesses are in a position to pay is increasing, which is fantastic for sellers. Multiples of, you know, somewhere between the two to four EBITDA region. And that means you're looking at a perfect opportunity to sell that business. So for me, that's what I'm looking at. There are minimum, you know, 12 month sales that you have to look at in order to be eligible for purchases from these people. That varies across the board from them. But for me, I have a figure in mind, which is, okay, when I hit X amount, then this is when I want to have the conversation and look at and look at what that sale process looks like. Hey folks, it's George here. I'd like you to check out my new site, georges.blog. It's where you can find all of my famous weekly emails, as well as how we can work together. To repeat, that's georges.blog. Now, let's carry on with the episode. It's an interesting point about 3SEO and so many people are reaching out to me at the moment who want to do similar things and, you know, they kind of, I just want to chew your ear off for a bit and get some free advice and what your thoughts are. But one thing that I think many of them perhaps are challenged by um, is setting themselves up properly as a an FBA acquisition company or business or plan or whatever you want to call it. If we're thinking of these FBA acquisition companies, uh, I'm asking you, Ben, what would you do if you were to set one up? What would your plan look like? What would you focus on? Who would you hire first? Because um, I'm intrigued to know where you feel the, the most important part of being successful with such a business would be. Sure. I think that there's, there's a few key things that I would look for. And, and in all honesty, you, know, you look at the business model, what someone like Thrasio has, I don't see that many many loopholes in it anywhere where they think actually this is where they really need to improve the actual business model itself i think is is, is pretty spot on and i think that starts with first of all the selection on amazon if we look at it the basis of you're acquiring vendors not necessarily SKUs, it's going to be looking for specific categories where you know there are massive benefits to be had so that's looking at things like with higher conversion rates ones with slightly higher average spend or in certain instances lower average spend because of the likelihood for impulse purchases. I'd also be looking at categories for potential competitors where there is an overlap. Because if, for example, you take my business workout logs, you were to purchase workout logs, yes, you can increase the amount of traffic that that listing is going to capture, but ultimately there's always going to be visitors who go and purchase another product. Now, that may only be 20%, 30%. But if you also own those competitors, of which there's one primary one, then you own almost the entire category or that subcategory. So looking for the opportunity where there's competitors that are actually going to be completing each other rather than competing each other, I think is a large opportunity as well. And because you're in that process of purchasing, if you were to purchase, say, workout logs which is the number one in the category if you then turn around to the number two and say look we're purchasing the number one this is our plan to grow the business which means ultimately you're going to struggle 
yeah, you know, could be seen as strong arming slightly, but it's providing that person with an exit opportunity as well, whilst the going is still as good as it can be for them. And that provides you as a roll-up business with even more proliferation within that category, which I think is... And with is regards hard. to, first and foremost, 100% is, is strong arming, right there, let's just clarif- clarify yes, no, you're that. Abs- you're absolutely right. <laughs> we're buying your big competitors, number one, we're going to pump <laughs> money into it and we're going to crush you, but we're not strong arming you, I swear we're not. <laughs> it's very much Bezos. <laughs> Look, we're talking very candidly here. Obviously, that's not how that conversation would go. But that's the reality of it, right? Like, if if someone is going to purchase and acquire your main competitor and they have even more economies of scale to leverage, you're going to be in a real real struggle. And with regards to hiring, uh, who would you look to hire first? From the ground up, you're building out your team. Who are you bringing in first? Sure. So... My answer is probably quite biased here because I'm going to answer it based on where I struggle the most and where my specific weaknesses are, which is I would hire a rock star in operations. And when I say operations, I'm talking primarily supply chain. So how can we build agreements with suppliers which are going to give us the most favorable terms to both parties, but one that's sustainable for us? How do we look at stock level optimization? Again, something that, that I've personally really struggled with. And if we are going to acquire multiple businesses, especially if they are in su- su- supplementary categories, how do we reduce the total number of suppliers and try to merge and aggregate that and, again, drive further synergies there, cost-saving benefits, less logistics to worry about, so on and so forth. For me, that would be an area of, immediate opportunity because even if you did nothing on the front end of amazon didn't change your advertising didn't change the listings you'd continue to gain that residual traffic and every change that you make on the back end on the operational side would benefit your bottom line purely you know if you reduce your cost benefit your cost price that all that does is add to your bottom line which means in turn when you pour that into advertising spend the return on investment that you get is so much higher so that would be in my opinion the absolute first place to start the second place would be, as we've just alluded to there, is is someone that is world-class at Amazon advertising. Hmm. I think f- from my experience in 2020, that has been the biggest driver of growth on Amazon without changing anything else on the listing and so on, without bringing new digital assets to the fray or looking at off-Amazon advertising channels, that purely on-Amazon advertising support has been absolutely massive. And I think between those two things, you will unlock a large percentage of the overall benefit to be had from rolling up these businesses. There will be supporting roles within that as well. And I think if if you were to pick only three people, the third person I would look at would be someone that is, you know, a marketeer, but in the more, more conventional content sense. So who's Mm -hmm. going to be able to produce amazing digital assets for enhanced brand content. Who's going to be able to keep bringing our storefront up to date. Who's going to be able to bring that on trend so that we're constantly, you know, front of mind for customers and that we should remain to be the only the only choice in that category. So that would be my my tremendous three. That would be my all-star team if I could pick those three people. Yeah, and I have to be honest, you didn't ask my opinion, but I'm going to give it anyway. It's my, <laughs> it's my show, I guess I can do that. Um, I would agree with that entirely. Kind of Building up that operational base is, is paramount for Amazon as a whole, particularly given what we've seen in the last 12 months. Um, and just staying in stock, you know, 
um, and, and, and that's a large part of our operational base. Again, the advertising traffic is becoming ever more complicated. Having someone dominating that is going to put you on the forefront um, of, of dominating Amazon as a whole. And then, yeah, your assets, those digital pieces, keeping that all updated um, massively concur. My only final question then um, is still linked back to kind of this kind of topic of FBA acquisition businesses and what brands can do if they are in this position. That is the exit they're looking for. What are the, some of the things you're thinking about to drive your value up? Yeah, it's a really great question and one that I've been one that I've been exploring over the last few weeks and few months. And I actually think a lot of this comes down to your basic Amazon fundamentals that we've talked about before on the, on the podcast that you talk about in LaunchPod Academy, which is do things right from the start, ensure that you have a really robust framework on how you're going to build your listings, because how you build your listings in your store is how you build your success. So ensuring that you have really well-researched keywords that you're going to include on the back end of Amazon, ensure that you're structuring your title and bullet points in a great way that's going to drive conversion as well as bringing that traffic but ultimately it's going to drive conversion and ensuring that you have fantastic digital assets so making sure that your you know your listing images as an absolute minimum are really really high quality those three things in and of themselves don't necessarily mean a business is worth x amount more but what that will do in turn is drive higher footfall higher conversion rates and within that a business such as Thrasio or an aggregation business will look at that and look at the opportunity for growth. Now, myself, as someone who necessarily might not have that skill set, I not, might not be able to put a tangible figure on that. But a business like that that has a huge plethora of data to look at and say, okay, we've taken on businesses of X, Y, and Z that have a similar profile, a similar size to the company that we're looking at acquiring. And these are the growth trends that we've been able to, 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 to identify when we have acquired them. So we can look at what that return on investment will look like based on those those few things. And one of the really important factors that I believe is, is as we talked about before, is so fundamental, but it's so easy to overlook is, is reviews. Obviously we talk about reviews for being extremely important as far as social proof to drive, again, traffic and conversion. But a business, if you are to look at a business that has you know, a hundred reviews and it's a four or five star product, then okay, that looks great. That's obviously done quite well. We've talked about before about that 20 being the mark where we see the turning point in that social proof aspect. But if then you have the same business that has a thousand reviews on that product, then for me, the purchases, it's an absolute no brainer. You always go for the, the product that has that higher level of reviews because what also is really easy to take into account and something that I've seen is that naturally as you go through the life cycle of a business you may look at ways to potentially start to value engineer the product or potentially increase bottom line so as you start to do that that may mean that there are sacrifices that you make which will impact the customer experience so it might be that your plan change for a business if it's on the lower review product could be really detrimental to the, to the foundations that you've built there and you might leave yourself with a bit of an uphill battle to ensure that you continue to provide an amazing customer experience whilst trying to grow the profitability of that business because at the end of the day that's what those businesses are there to do so looking for a business or a skew that has a phenomenal base of reviews is absolutely fundamental we've talked before about building a moat you know around your your business for me 
in the sense of on Amazon looking at acquisitions, that moat manifests itself as a high number of great quality reviews. So that's one of the things that I think is incredibly important. I think, so I agree with both of those points about that robust framework for your listings, building those reviews from the offset. Um, but I think one area that is really going to drive a lot of value now, which you didn't include, but no doubt you would if you had uh, more time to note down or answer, would be just around the data as a whole um, and having very accurate, comprehensive data of repeat purchase behavior, conversion rate, uh, return on investment across your uh, advertising channels, Amazon as well as off Amazon, um, data on your customers. Just as a, a sweeping statement, just having very good data, collecting it regularly and um, interpreting and visualizing it as well is only going to be putting you in a very strong place when it comes down to a negotiation or when it comes down to even that first conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such an important, important point. I think you know, now we talk about data, data centricity to businesses. It simply comes down to survive or thrive. If you're not a data centric business, then you're never going to thrive in environments that are much more competitive. And I, I completely agree. And I think, again, looking at it from the point of uh, an acquisition business, it's really interesting because you can look at a business that has a low retention rate, but potentially an amazing product and think, okay, why is that? Is that, again, an operational issue that we've talked about? Is that a problem that we believe that we can solve? And does that mean we can purchase this business that has amazing potential at a lower multiple and we can increase our ROI? Or do you want to look at businesses that have a high retention rate and just look to optimize those in a slightly different sense? Because... You know, if you have a low retention business, as the analogy goes, you can have a leaky bucket. It becomes a lot more difficult to keep putting water in that if it's just pouring out of the bottom. Whereas mm-hmm. if you have that sound business model already, you could just look at growing that top of the sales funnel through advertising. So I think, again, that's you know, something that you look at on a case-by-case basis. But I think you're absolutely right. That customer data is so, so important. And on Amazon now, that data is becoming easier to find and easier to manipulate as well. So that's a great feature they've started including. Yeah, exactly. I think it's only going to get more comprehensive as well, um, and we can see that. Mate, let's round things up there. I know you've got a busy morning ahead of you, um, and you're whinging at the start, so you needed to go to the bathroom, so I'm not going to keep any longer. <laughs> um, mate, it's been a good chatting, uh, a shorter session today, but let's catch up soon. Top man. Thank you, George. Thanks for having me back. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Hey guys, just a quick one. If you are enjoying the podcast and either have some actionable next steps or new ideas, I'd really appreciate if you could, one, subscribe to the show and leave us a review. These are really, really important to us, as you probably know, being in the Amazon world. And two, if you're looking for additional support with your brand, head over to the website, itsalwaysday1.co.uk, where we've got links to other resources. That's all for now, guys. Speak soon.